gentlemen welcome to a new season of the bulletin podcast this is your producer hussein almalla and here's what's coming up so the rise in price was absolutely insane i think it was around 1700 percent or a 17 times increase over two weeks they thought that as a group they could force uh, the institutional investors namely hedge funds who made bets that the price of get uh, gamestop would go down uh that they would force them to buy shares at these higher prices. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to the Bulletin Podcast. This is Jesus Rensulo and I'm with... Caroline Von Stein. So, Caroline, we're finally back to the Bulletin after two months of vacations. It's great to be back. I'm so happy to be able to see you in person, Jesus and see all of the other students in person as well. Yes, it is great that the university and in, in general, like the countries are finally opening up back. And it's good to see that uh, they are putting not only the protocols to maintain us safe, but also uh, they allow us to gathering to gather more, to see presential classes and all that kind of stuff. But one thing that I was seeing while, while we were on vacation was that many aspects of uh, finances are going crazy. We saw uh, in January this big boom of Bitcoin and the problem of the GameStop uh, uh, stocks. And now again, last week, the Bitcoin passed its threshold and reached $60,000. But we're doing a public policy program. So what does this have to do with policy? Well, I think that everything, many of the reasons that financial markets work is because they have some kind of regulation. We learned in the financial crisis of 2008 that markets can just be left free because there are some problems that need to be taken into account and there are some things that need to be kept in check. And I think that we need more public policy analysts that know about financial regulation, that know about financial markets, because that's the only way we can keep those problems in check and that's why i think we are so happy to have this new episode definitely i think a lot of the inner workings of the financial sector can feel very opaque from the outside so i'm really happy that we have a guest today who will hopefully um shed some light on on these inner workings um today we have baktior tuktabev as a guest he is a Brandt School alumni from the year 2011 and is now a senior professional with more than six years of experience in the financial services industry, as well as four years of um, experience in the public sector. Um, as a senior business analyst, he is engaged in analyzing and understanding the ever-changing EU regulations and implementing it in existing business processes. 
Uh, he obtained a bachelor's degree in economics, but of course he also has his master's in public policy. So uh, th this combination of experience will hopefully help us unpack some of uh, some of the crazy things we're seeing in the financial sector um, and in this past year. I completely agree. And I really like the idea of a public policy analyst getting into the private sector and working with it because it brings a new perspective. So let's see what Bakhtiar has to say. So, hello, Bakhtiar. How are you? Uh, hello, Jesus. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm perfect. Thank you so much for being here with us today. As a former student of the Willy Brandt School and as a person that is already working in the area of finances. Well, we are quite interested in some developments that happened in January and that basically are still happening and have many people puzzled. I'm um, talking with what happened in January regarding GameStop. Uh, this thing that shares of a company that was basically thought bankrupt started to go up and up and up and up and nobody knew why and i wanted to take a little ins a little deep into into this discussion of how this happened and why this happened can you give us a little insight about it sure um it's a very interesting topic and i guess this topic alone uh actually could make a whole podcast um <laughs> because there are really a lot of things to say so actually so what actually happened Uh, in January this year, we've seen a significant price explosion for GameStop. So the rise in price was absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. I think it was around 1700% or a 17 times increase over two weeks. And to give you some context, uh, Moderna's stock, for example, went from $20 to $70 uh, when COVID pandemic began. Mm -hmm. And that is only a three times increase. So what is so special about uh, GameStop? GameStop. Uh, basically, uh, this company is a video game retailer which sells games, consoles, and other electronics. And usually you can find uh, GameStop shops somewhere in a shopping mall, maybe next to a Zara shop or a McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And so companies of this size do not usually go up by 1,700%. So um, nothing actually specific or exciting about GameStop. Moreover, as you mentioned, uh, it was even not doing very well because of the COVID pandemic uh, and GameStop was also losing to other online game retailers like Steam or Amazon. Um, so what actually happened was that the price was driven up by retail investors. And retail investors are ordinary people like students, teachers, bakers, truck drivers, Uh, basically, they are non-professional investors who trade occasionally, and uh, they're just people you see on the street every day, as opposed to the so-called big fish, the trading experts who work for hedge funds or banks and who make trading uh, as a profession. So those uh, small investors, uh, retail investors, actually self-organize themselves in a social media platform called Reddit, And the okay. users of this platform decided simply to start buying uh, GME stocks uh, for the following reasons. Uh, first, they thought that the fundamentals were better than the price would suggest. And most importantly, and that's what makes this case so special, they thought that as a group, they could force 
uh, the institutional investors, namely hedge funds who made bets that the price of uh, GameStop would go down, uh, that they would force them to buy shares at these higher prices. And that's called a short squeeze. Okay. Um, as a result of this, uh, so to say, protest from the retail investor uh, investors, we have seen the price of GME. It went from $20 to $450 in a couple of days, bringing a mind-boggling 17 times increase. Um, so that's actually what happened. Uh, and basically, the the crisis or the or this outcry from the former inv formal investor is because most of these hedge funds work against the GameStop. They, they were betting against the shares, right? And that crashed correct, many hedge yeah. funds. That's yeah, yeah. So, so interesting because, of course, <laughs> we always think that financial markets are rational, people are investing according to what is the value and the possible growth yeah. of the company. Yeah. But this was completely different. This was more like a self-organized based on morals. And <laughs> that's yeah, basically we have this weird kind of development and that's what brings yeah, me yeah. to my to my next question uh -huh. so we are told that financial markets are rational but that's right. events like this and not only like this but things like cryptocurrencies and that kind of stuff they tend to mm -hmm. go against the main theories of financial behavior of financial markets behavior so in yes. your opinion how rational really are financial markets And are there better ways to looking at them besides completely rational optics? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I guess here we're going to talk about the eternal debate between the theory of rational markets, or which is often called the efficient market hypothesis, okay. against the theory of behavioral uh, finance. So let's quickly take a look at the main postulates of the efficient market hypothesis. Here on forward, I will call it just EMH. Okay. Um, so uh, the first uh, postulate of the EMH states that share prices reflect all information. This means that everything what is known to us about a certain security is already included in its price. So any earnings ratio, any regulatory adjustment, or any other company news has been already reflected in the price. Okay. Then uh, EMH uh, uh, says that stocks trade at their fair market value. Okay. So this makes it impossible for investors to purchase undervalued stocks or sell stocks for inflated prices. Uh, therefore, uh, it should be impossible to outperform the overall market through expert stock selection or market timing. Okay. And the only way an investor can obtain higher returns is by purchasing riskier investments. Um, last but not least, the cornerstone postulate uh, of the EMH is that investors in a stock market act rationally. So those are the main pillars of the EMH and what are the arguments of the opponents of the EMH and this includes myself as well. Okay. Uh, perhaps uh, one of the strongest arguments of the opponents is Warren Buffett himself because he has consistently beaten the market over long periods of time, which by definition is impossible, according to EMH. Uh, moreover, he has done this by investing in undervalued stocks. Mm. In addition, in the modern day, we have quite a bit of portfolio managers who have better track records uh, than others and then the market on a consistent basis. 
Um, other arguments which contradict the EMH and explaining that market inefficiencies do exist are the following. So markets are inefficient because we have information asymmetries, mm -hmm. which means that not all investors have the same information about security, a lack of buyers and sellers for certain instruments, which means that there is low liquidity, uh, market psychology, um, I would say human emotion, and last but not least, it's my favorite argument, it's the cultural factors among investors. At the moment, in the 21st century, we are able to see a significant increase in retail investors. Mm -hmm. So access to markets is very easy in the modern day, low transaction costs and ability to trade from home. Uh, because markets have opened themselves to people all around the world, uh, we have here a cultural factor as well. So having the same type of information about a certain security, probably a non-professional investor from Japan or Australia would trade completely differently to a trader from Germany or say Venezuela. And um, probably my final remark to this question, I would say that if the markets were indeed rational, uh, even in the long term, there is a very good saying among among investors, uh, which I think can answer this question very well. Uh, so this uh, saying uh, is, is as follows. It says that uh, the markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent, which means that even if you have an idea that should work uh, given fundamentals and given the market, uh, market rationality, the market price may deviate long enough that you run out of capital to, to keep the position open to prove yourself right. So basically in the long term, we are all dead. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> that, that's super interesting because it sounds so clear when you look at it from a theoretical base. And then mm -hmm. you look at all these factors that are influencing like culture, the fact that they are coming non like non expert investors the fact that in fact we have as, uh, information asymmetry not everybody knows everything mm -hmm. and 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 even though we try to regulate that and create that's why we have laws against problem runners and that kind of stuff yeah. we we still do not grasp how irrational market can behave it's that's right it's super interesting and maybe it's a it's a thing that we need to start teaching more not only in in finances as a as a course but in public policy so yeah. Yeah. i wanted to continue with this topic because it's super interesting but let's dig a little into another asset that is being at a discussion topic three for the last months even now mm -hmm. as china is yeah. banning it as uh, mm -hmm. El Salvador declared as a yeah. national currency, and that's yeah. cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin yeah. and that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. what is the logic behind the rapid ups and downs of their prices? Mm -hmm. uh, basically, if we had information, that wouldn't happen. The prices would yeah. go down or would go up, depending on how much the real, the real value of the, of the asset mm -hmm. is. But what, hap yeah. what is happening with Bitcoin in basic? Uh, yeah, uh, sure. Maybe a little side note on what Bitcoin is, because mm -hmm. it's uh, something not very usual. Mm -hmm. So it's often described as a cryptocurrency and is a type of money that is uh, completely virtual and people can send Bitcoins to each other's digital wallets. And every single Bitcoin transaction is recorded in a public list called the blockchain. Some facts about the Bitcoin. There 
according to the design of the Bitcoin, there is a limited amount of them in the world, uh, which is 21 million. And currently uh, we have already 18 million Bitcoins mined. Uh, however, we will reach um, the uh, limit amount of 21 million of Bitcoins at the year of around uh, 2140 because of this Bitcoin halving mechanism. And we'll come to that uh, mechanism later um, uh, during uh, our discussion. I guess I will maybe skip the technicalities of the Bitcoins because that involves some really uh, complex mathematics. And because I'm not really into mathematics, I guess I won't be able to explain the whole complexity of this mathematical problem, meaning Don't how worry. people how people generate bitcoins. They need like very powerful computers mm -hmm. who will work on full with full steam to generate the answer to that mathematical problem. And alone that uh, having a very powerful computer will take maybe um, several years to generate one bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And perhaps uh, we um, maybe switch to the to analyzing uh, the factors. Uh, what were the factors to such uh, significant price changes in the Bitcoin? Yes. Uh, in the first place, I would say it's the infrastructure for the Bitcoin trading. So during Bitcoin's early days, um, the rise and fall of cryptocurrency exchanges, which is the infrastructure for Bitcoin trading. Mm -hmm. So uh, such exchanges which controlled considerable amounts of Bitcoin, uh, uh, they significantly influence the price trajectory of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. For example, one of the first, uh, one of the world's first uh, crypto exchanges, which is uh, called uh, Mount Gox, claimed to have lost um, 850,000 Bitcoins because of a hacker attack and filed for bankruptcy in bankruptcy in February 2014. Uh, as a result, price of Bitcoin dropped by 32%. So basically, um, the stronger the infrastructure, the bigger, the higher the price. Uh, well, the more stable infrastructure is, uh, because if price. you find out that uh, there is no exchange where you can trade bitcoins, uh, the price of it obviously should uh, should Go fall. Okay. Yeah. Another reason is uh, another factor is acceptance of bitcoin by world businesses. Um, so um, the uh, Bitcoin's price was affected uh, by mainstream online retailers. Mm -hmm. For example, its price touched the 1000 threshold in 2014 after an online retailer Overstock announced that it would begin accepting Bitcoin for purchases. Okay. Um, another factor is um, as, as the world slowly accepted the emergence and importance of Bitcoin, each regulatory change among countries had a significant impact uh, on its price. For example, when the US Securities and Exchange Commission announced that it considers Bitcoin as a security, and when uh, at the same time Commodities Futures uh, Trading Commission in the US has mm -hmm. classified Bitcoin um, as a commodity, uh, as a result, the price of Bitcoin soared, increased uh, like significantly. So on the basically, other, yeah. let me just to make sure that I'm understanding. Mm -hmm. As the Bitcoin becomes official in other institutions, yeah. it becomes it gains price. Yeah, that's correct. It gains legitimacy. That's correct, and because okay. investors feel themselves more safe uh, in trading this security. 
Okay. Uh, at the same time, if we look at China, I think the price of Bitcoin lately, uh, maybe it was um, um, not so long ago, fell from 50,000 to 40,000 after Chinese regulators announced restrictions banning financial institutions and payment companies from providing cryptocurrency related uh, services. Yeah. Um, and now uh, the last factor is something which we have mentioned before, it's Bitcoin, Bitcoin halving. And I think mm. it's actually the main reason for the price changes in Bitcoin. So according to the design of the Bitcoin concept, every four years, Bitcoin halving shall take place. This okay. means that as time passes, miners shall receive less Bitcoins for their mining activity. Okay. Initially, back in 2009, uh, it was the beginning of Bitcoin, miners were rewarded uh, with 50 Bitcoins for solving this mathematical problem. Currently, the reward is only 6.25 Bitcoins. So correspondingly, every Bitcoin halving, which happens every four years, dramatically increases its price. price and this is why uh, having mined 18 million Bitcoins uh, for like 10 years, we will reach the limit of 21 million only in 2145. So um, in, the year of, in the year of 2145. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, so it took less time to generate 18 million bitcoins and it will take more significantly more time to generate the remaining three. Okay. And uh, so coming to the end of my answer, um, those were the main factors which historically have affected the price of bitcoin. And as you can see, there are many objective factors based on theory of demand uh, and supply, supply, meaning yeah. that the increase in bitcoin uh, price is not just the media hype, but it's also some, uh, so to say, fundamental factors. Okay, so basically we have here that, well, uh, unlike many people think that Bitcoin is just a, a hype that is coming, yeah. a big bubble, this has yeah. really well-founded reasons behind their price yeah. increase. So we talk about the stability of the infrastructure, we talk about legitimacy from other institutions, and yes. we talk about halving. That's correct. That's that's great. And really, as a person that normally I have been, I come from Venezuela, and in Venezuela there's a lot of hype for cryptocurrencies mm, right okay. now. Okay. Uh, electricity is cheap, so many people try to mine. Uh, yeah. But I always been skeptical. Mm -hmm. But now I, I I kind of <laughs> looking into the I, I accept the Bitcoin as a as a thing, just because yeah. I know how many objective reasons okay. are behind this. Yeah. yeah, and just to make a, a little assessment because financial theory and financial markets are quite complex mm -hmm. by themselves. Yeah. But I wanted to take from you as a financial expert, as a person from the Willy Brandt School, I wanted to know what you think it will help, which policies, which rules or recommendations would you give to help reduce these fluctuations, these hard fluctuations in the market that tend to make more damage than help Mm -hmm. because uh, we all get crazy when a market crashes yeah. and we don't really like that. So yeah. what would be your insights of what are the main flaws that we see yeah. in the financial markets from this crisis and how can we solve them? Uh, yeah, if, if I was a policymaker, mm -hmm. actually, I guess I wouldn't introduce any changes to reduce those uh, so-called 
um, dramatic uh, fluctuations. Why so? I think, uh, yeah, well, uh, because I think, uh, first of all, the regulatory bodies around the world, such as SEC in the US, Bafin in Germany, FCA in the UK, they are already constantly doing more than enough to keep markets stable and uh, prevent uh, market manipulation and to easen the effects of market crashes. Okay. Uh, moreover, uh, if not all, but um, most of the ex exchanges are, or stock exchanges are already equipped with their own internal anti-volatility anti mechanisms to prevent okay. unnecessary volatility. For example, the German exchange is using the so-called volatility freeze mechanism for every single instrument. So if a st certain stocks exceeds the amount of allowed volatility, the okay. instrument will be frozen and the exchange will interfere and investigate what, what were the causes of this volatility. Okay. Uh, the US exchanges have the so-called circuit breaker mechanism to prevent volatility. So if, for example, the index SPX 500 goes 5 or 10% down, the trading among all instruments will be halted for a certain amount of time. Okay. If this repeats two or three times, it keeps on going 5 or 10% lower, then trading should be suspended for the whole day. Recent example, uh, the sharp fall of SPX 500 as a result of the COVID pandemic back in okay. February 2012. There, they had circuit breakers working like uh, with a steam. Um, in addition, all exchanges have trading surveillance departments, uh, which have competent staff who are analyzing order, book, order books from day to day to find any cases of uh, market abuse or market manipulation. I personally believe that uh, volatility like the one in Bitcoin, even the one in GameStop, as long as it's legal, should exist in, in the market. Okay. Otherwise, markets will no longer be so thrilling and exciting. Uh, because if you look at uh, Bitcoin, uh, we have mentioned that already, the rise in its price is really based on the collective opinion of the market. So it's not some kind of market abuse or manipulation. And for, like we said, for every increase in Bitcoin price, there is a reasonable in, uh, explanation. But what I would actually do if I were a policymaker and as a former a public policy student okay. is actually uh, make sure that uh, retail investors should be offered early and continuing education. I am not that much concerned with institutional investors, the big, the big guys, the big because uh, the big fish, because I think, uh, well, actually, it's a fact they're in the business for a long, long time. They know the risks. They have a lot of money so they can afford a couple of cases of a short squeeze. Moreover, since they are very well diversified, they will compensate for every short squeeze, a squeeze with a couple of big and successful trades. Okay. So it's the retail investors whom I'm concerned with. It's people like you and I, the teachers, the students, the flight attendants, retail shop consultants, you name it. It's those ordinary people who don't have any financial or trading education. Uh, they may be heard about stock markets from a friend or a neighbor, uh, they heard you can get rich in the market very quickly, so they bring their last piece of income, invest in a bus security like G uh, GameStop or Bitcoin, and then they lose all their money when the instrument goes into correction, which is quite normal uh, for an instrument to do. So it's for those, so to say, unprotected investors that I think the governments need to, need to introduce financial uh, literacy 
and or trading education already in schools or universities. So people not familiar with trading need to be explained the differences between short-term and long-term trading. They should know what kind of securities and assets are there to be traded. They need to be given knowledge about risk management, diversification, or that it's a bad idea to invest all your money into a single stock. Uh, more importantly, they need to be told that there is very little evidence that you can become rich quickly through trading and <laughs> that it is really, uh, yeah, and that it's really hard work, just like it takes seven years to become a lawyer or a doctor before you start earning a very high salary. It also take, uh, takes quite a long time before you start making consistent profits in the stock market. Okay. First of all, let me tell you that I love that answer. The fact that you are taking care of the persons that the people that normally are not looked for uh, in the in the mm -hmm. financial markets, I, I think it resonates a lot with Dr. Sheila from the mm -hmm. University of Harvard that really talks mm -hmm. about helping those that need yeah. it with through education, yeah. through funds that uh, compensate when they lose that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. It's really important and it's great that you bring it into 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 the into the board here with this podcast. I don't want to take more time from you, uh, Bakhtior, but I want to thank you so much for this interview. It was super helpful, super instructive, a little complex, I must say. It was quite technical, but I think our, our, our listeners will be really happy for it. Thanks a lot for being here. Uh, from my side, thanks a lot for having me. I enjoyed it as well. Um, it was uh, Those were very interesting questions. And in general, I find this idea of podcasting very nice. And I wish you success in the future. Uh, I wish you more interesting topics and also uh, very interesting speakers with different backgrounds uh, for the benefit of your listeners. Thank you very much. Wow, it was great to have Bakhtior in the studio. What, what was most striking to you about the things he said, Jesus? Well, there were many interesting things, but I think the most striking to me was the fact, to, 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 to be honest, the first is the fact that Bitcoin is not only a hype thing. That's what I always thought. That is what everybody getting invested in, like a kind of, this Dutch uh, kind of fever for flowers, but at the end of the day, no, <laughs> they have a lot of infrastructural and, and legalization and normalization of the Bitcoin that makes its price go up. And that's super interesting and makes, change my perspective on how, how much of an asset is Bitcoin instead of like a financial kind of crazy gambling. And the second thing is when he said, well, we already have a lot of good policies for reducing cyclic crisis. We, what we need is education for the layman if we want to include people in the financial market. And I think that it's so true, and yet it is so hard to think about it because you are so invested in this idea of, well, we need to reduce financial crisis and these big ups and downs. And that's like, no, no, that happens in markets, but layman people do not survive that. And we need to make them learn how to do so and protect them from that. And to me, it was simply mind-blowing that part. Agreed. I think it goes back to what I said earlier in the introduction about, about finance being a very opaque subject. And um, we need to find ways to make uh, 
to make it more understandable to people so that they're not uh, affected by these ups and downs that we see. Completely. I completely agree with you. And well, that was our episode of this month. It's so good to be back and we have some amount of announcements to say. Yes. Well, most importantly, we want to welcome all of the new students to the 2021-2022 school year. Um, we're so excited to be back in person uh, in classes. Um, and and we want to warmly welcome all of, all of the new students this year. Yes, it's so good to have them uh, and not only have them, but also to see them in person now that we have this new uh, these new regulations that allow us to have presidential classes. And I think another great thing to say is that the Willy Brandt School Bulletin podcast is going to start asking for new, looking for new people to be interviewee, interviewers or to become part of the editing team or the contact, contact team to the interviewees. So if you are interested in becoming part of the Bulletin podcast, please stay touch, stay tuning in the Willy Brandt School uh, different social media because we're going to be announcing the procedures quite soon. Yes, you'll hear from us soon. Well, I think that's it from us. Uh, have a good week to everyone, a good month, and we look forward to uh, hearing from you soon. Thanks, thanks a lot. And this was the Bulletin Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.